Welcome to The Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today's Wednesday, June 9. Well, just ahead, a management overhaul at GameStop as the company warns investors of a long road to turning the company around. And we'll hear what Royal Dutch Shell has to say about its court-forced adoption of new climate change goals. We'll let you listen for yourself and see if the CEO sounds into it. And can I interest you in a new car? CarMax is setting itself apart from its competitors. We'll tell you exactly how much they mark up your car or your used cars when we drill down on CarMax. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. And we hope you're listening to the drill down every day, like so many of our listeners, trying to get the latest and most important business news. And you can do so on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, uh, Pandora. But subscribe to us and, and follow us every day. Make sure you can download the show and catch every single episode. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly on our website, bizpod.net. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome back to The Drill Down, where we explain the business stories behind stocks on the move. Joining me as always, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, what are the three most important developments in the world of business today? Corey, I want to start with GameStop reporting fiscal first quarter results after the bell today that reflected improving sales and narrowed losses and no debt. GameStop's new chairman, activist investor Ryan Cohen, telling shareholders today that the company doesn't plan to make any big promises while the video game retailer works to turn itself around. He also said that there's a lot of work in front of them and it's going to take time. And at the same time, GameStop named two Amazon executives as its new chief executive, Matt Furlong, and chief financial officer, Mike Recupero. Recupero. Well, is Mr. Recupero, as a CFO, Mr. Furlong, as a CEO, I mean... Mm-hmm. It's nice that they want to turn it around. They want, can they turn the clock around and make people go buy physical video games instead of downloading them? That's the problem with this business. Too much real estate and not a business that anyone wants to use anymore. Well, maybe they've got a plan to fix that. We'll see. Number two, more signs of inflation on the horizon. We've been talking a lot about this and hearing a lot about it from companies um, throughout the last couple months. Campbell uh, of Campbell Soup plans to raise prices. That's as higher transportation, commodity, and labor costs cut into profits for the soup maker. And also Chipotle saying that it's ra- that ha- it has raised menu prices by 4% to cover rising cost of wages. Chipotle is aiming to hire another 20,000 workers paying between $11 to $18 an hour. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in this show because we've got some companies very specifically talking about what that means and where they're seeing inflation. And finally, the third most important business story of the day. Uh, I don't know if it's that most important, but you know what? It's a lot of fun. Have a, a bunch of Bitcoin. Do you have a bunch of Bitcoin burning a hole in your digital wallet, Corey? Um, burning? Like I'm dying to spend it? No. Yeah. <laughs> well, then head on down to El Salvador. The Central American nation is the first country to approve Bitcoin as a legal method of tender, just like the U.S. dollar. You can use it to pay taxes or and use it any business in El Salvador. You just have to be in El Salvador. Well, and they're requiring businesses to accept it, which I think yeah. is, I think it's actually a really big business story. And I think that they're trying to fight inflation by uh, making that uh, uh, an important part of their economy. We'll see if that actually happens. 
Um, but uh, it's a, you know, they're not going to be the last. No, definitely not. Now, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Start with a giant one, Royal Dutch Shell. RDSA, Royal Dutch Shell, shares rose slightly today, and they've but they've lost over 2% over the past 12 months. What What's the latest with Royal Dutch Shell? Well, the company announced that they're going to uh, uh, rise to the challenge in its transition to a cleaner energy future. And they say they'll speed up their plan to cut greenhouse gas emissions. But I don't know if they're rising or they're being uh, forced to rise after a court order a month ago by a court in the Netherlands. Shell will continue to appeal its verdict, but uh, and they're complaining they've been unfairly singled out. Uh, but the court ruling applies immediately, and they cannot suspend it uh, as they appeal it. Yeah, I, I love this idea that um, they're, they're rising to the challenge of something yes. they're being forced to do. Exactly. Good for exactly. them. Good for them. Gold star. Well, this is a giant case, um, and I think yeah. it's going to have some really far-reaching effects across the global oil business. Um, as you may recall, the court in in, uh, in Holland um, required that they cut emissions by 45 percent by 2030 from the levels they uh, uh, emitted in 2019. It's a lot faster than their current plan. They did have a current plan. But if it sounds like they're dragging their feet, as you just suggested, Isaac, well, listen to what the CEO said three weeks ago. So they had a shareholder meeting. And the executives got an earful from shareholders, big and small, demanding that this company lead the way in climate change. But I, from my hearing, the company was pushing back. They, were say, they said they're making slow progress, but they said their customers had to change what they wanted Shell to make before they would change what they sell. Otherwise, uh, they'd just be leaving money on the table and shrinking the business. Here is the CEO, Royal Dutch Shell CEO, uh, Ben Van Buren. Again, listen, uh, you tell me if you think he's not very enthusiastically embracing uh, cutting emissions. Reducing absolute emissions at this point in time is predominantly possible by shrinking the business. If we want to really make change in the global energy system, we have to substitute the high carbon energy that we are selling for low carbon energy. And for that, unfortunately, also our customers need to substitute the appliances in which they use energy. And that is what we are going to do together. Now, I'm sure that our targets will evolve over time. We will give you progress reports every year. And in three years time, I'm sure there will be a further update to the strategy that we have set out, which will be reflective of the progress that society has made and the progress that we have made in driving that change. Um, as you know, Isaac, I'm of Dutch descent. Did you know that? Uh, I didn't know. Well, that was I, and, and, and that's a that was Dutch for no, no, no. You go first. <laughs> I mean, listen. He sounded like he sounded like he's all for it to me. Well, well he was saying there was going to be an update in three years' time. Yeah. Guess what? It was three weeks, thanks to the Dutch court. <laughs> well, good luck to him. We all listen. We'll, we'll all be better off if once they. Once they comply to this order. Corey, what is the next drill down? Let's look at a some sort of a new company, uh, Organon. Organon. I have not heard of this company. This is new to me. OGN. Shares fell slightly today. What's going on with Organon? Well, uh, Organon, you have not heard of. Have you ever heard of Merck? I believe so. Um, so Organon is a spinoff of Merck that took place a few weeks ago. Uh, And it's a pretty big one. Um, And Organon is just like Merck, a global, it's a piece of Merck, a big piece of Merck, global healthcare company that's dedicated to uh, the market of women's health. Okay. 
Good. What could be wrong with that? Uh, well, the market hasn't liked it. The stock uh, has just since the spinoff just not done done well. Um, I think it's been down uh, day after day for really you know, the spinoff. I think was done initially at about thirty four dollars a share. Stock's trading at twenty eight forty five right now. So you wonder what is it that Mister Market doesn't like about Ms. Organon? Um, and really, what does this company look like, and how does it differ from Merck? Um, I think that one of the things that's happening is a lot of the Merck shareholders who to, received shares of Organon are just saying, uh, this isn't what I wanted. I wanted just Merck, so I'll sell off the Organon. Um, what has been taking place also, though, is that the Merck business looks like it might be higher growth. It's exciting biotech development, not least of which this oral treatment for COVID that got a big boost just now as the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services signed a $1.2 billion deal for 1.7 million courses of this experimental COVID-19 treatment. Again, it's not a vaccine, but it's a treatment for people to get COVID. Um, that was not part of Organon. Organon spun off separately to really focus on women. And uh, as they were trying to sell this to investors, uh, the CEO of that new unit, Kevin Ali, coming from Merck, as so many other Organon employees uh, did, um, he really gave it a full-throated defense in a meeting with investors just a few weeks ago. When I think about the fact that unintended pregnancy rate being nearly 50%, and when I think about the fact that uh, uterine fibroids uh, are only 20% of them are actually diagnosed in the U.S. alone, and the kind of significant bleeding and pain that, that comes from that and how it disproportionately affects women of color and women of lower socioeconomic status, when I think about menopausal symptoms and the fact of the matter is there is no clear non-hormonal therapy available these are huge potential opportunities for us and so unmet need given the fact that this is a purpose-driven company um 85 of the people that are going to make up of organon are coming from merck and that kind of purpose has really been a rallying cry for the people in the company to actually be very passionate about doing something special in the space and so we believe very strongly that the R&D is there, that the fact that the voice of women is more resonant than ever, that there are no single pure play women's health companies out there, and that we have a very healthy balance sheet to do some very interesting business development opportunities going forward. So overall, we believe that's the road that actually we need to pursue going forward. Uh, and, and that's the road that we ultimately are, have decided on being our journey as being a, uh, a purpose-driven company. So I hate the lame uh, TV reporter, time will tell, but time will tell. We'll see if they, these guys really can capture some of that growth and make a, real, um, make a real difference in those potential markets really focused on women's health. Um, but uh, it was, a, I thought, a persuasive argument that there are some big markets here that they can uh, generate some drugs for and perhaps deal with these big problems. Corey, what's your next drill down? United Natural Foods. United Natural Foods, UNFI, shares dropped 15% today, but they've gained 52% in a year. What's new with United Natural Foods? Well, Isaac, what were you hoarding at this time last year? Toilet paper, paper towels, bleach, Clorox. Flour? Uh, flour, no. I mean, Bread, I was, cheese, I think milk. I shared the story earlier of our flour hoarding at our house. Look, yeah. it was a different time uh, in the grocery business last year where uh, what was on the shelves was no longer on the shelves. And, and yeah. that was a, a, to a food distributor like United Natural Foods, they saw 
a big pickup in their sales. So one might have expected a slowdown a year later, but when they reported their most recent quarter just today, uh, their sales were down 6% from a year ago, but 7% higher than they had been before the pandemic. Again, that's the last, last year concept we keep talking about, 2019 numbers. Um, sales for their supernatural segment, that's uh, kind of organics and so on, were up about 1%, but lower for chains, independent retailers, retail, across the board, their other customers were buying less or paying less. Um, and profits, operating profits down 19% over a year ago. Um, and so I think what was really going on here, obviously you see the slowdown post-pandemic, no longer is the hoarding going on that drove the results on a kind of one-time basis. But the question is what's happening now with inflation and what's happening with the increasing price of raw materials of the food that they're getting from farmers and distributors and, and uh, the expenses that they're paying for fuel, the expenses they're paying for truck drivers uh, and wages. What's going to happen with this business? Are they going to see their profits hurt or are they going to pass it on down the line? Um, are, are they going to, you know, really the question is who's going to get stuck with it? So what do you mean stuck with it? Well, I mean, who's going to pay for it, right? So if the if the price of fuel is higher, are they just going to pay more for fuel and pass it on, or are they going to eat it? Uh, if they've got to pay more for their workers, are they going to eat those rising costs? Uh, it is a food distributor. I don't mean to pawn away here, but are they going to eat the cost, the rising cost of food, or are they going to pass it all down to the consumer and you and I will be paying more? Here is CEO Stephen Spinner talking about inflation. Inflation which there's been very little. Um, obviously, we, we expect to have some more inflation come our way throughout the balance of this year and certainly into 22. That's also a benefit um, because we passed that through. On the labor side, we've done a ton of work throughout the year in making sure that our folks, drivers included, um, are being paid a competitive wage and as you heard in the script, we've, we've increased wages throughout the year, and that's obviously reflected in our numbers. But more importantly than wages is having a really good environment, having really good work-life balance, managing overtime, managing productivity, managing turnover. And as a result of doing that, we've seen an increase in productivity, we've seen more stability in our turnover, so there you have it, inflation getting passed on kind of across the board from United uh, Foods and I think the Nanonatural Foods, and I think we're going to see that from a lot of companies, Isaac. All right, coming up next, how much does CarMax mark up your used car? We're going to have that number and a whole lot more as we drill down into the business of CarMax. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at AERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And remember to join the Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. Link up with the Business Podcast Network on LinkedIn. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. Welcome back to The Drill Down. Brian McCauley joins us right now as a portfolio manager with Hennessy Focus Fund. Uh, and you're in Arlington, Virginia. That's right, Corey. 
Yes, we're back in the office and excited to be out looking for some great, great new investment ideas. Talk to me about Hennessy Focus Fund. What is that? Uh, what is the focus of the Focus Fund? Yeah, so we're a we're a mutual fund. It's a it's a concentrated and long term focused mutual fund. So we own about twenty total positions, with about seventy percent of assets in our top ten positions. So quite concentrated for a mutual fund, and that's because we believe that great investment ideas are uncommon. And when you find them, you really need to put a lot of capital behind them. Um, so concentrated. Long and strong. Yeah, I'm all for and, it. And, and long-term too, our, our average turnover is about 10% per year. So an average 10-year holding period. And I know we're going to get to discuss CarMax later today, but you know we've been investors in CarMax for nearly 15 years now. Forget later today. Let's do it right now. Um, I, I, you know, on this show, I'm not always so interested in, in, in stocks as an investment, rather than really looking at, at what businesses underneath those stocks. Um, some of the car companies that I've looked at um, are less than impressive, with some uh, not great metrics uh, showing up. If you really dig into the results, what is it that you like about CarMax? Well, CarMax has got a very different business model from most auto retailers out there. It's probably a concept that you're familiar with. It's a big box used car retailer. They've got about 220 locations nationwide. Uh, they've got a wide selection of vehicles on each lot, about three or 400 vehicles to select from. And they take a very customer friendly approach with no haggle pricing, uh, upfront uh, terms and conditions, and a generous return policy. And so that's really in contrast to how much of the auto industry still operates. And because of this model, we think that CarMax has been a systematic market share gainer in the past. We think it's set up really well to continue gaining market share in the future. So are they gaining market share by acquiring stores or adding stores, or are they gaining market share by just being nice guys on a used car lot, which sounds beyond oxymoronic? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's a little bit of both. So they've grown fairly consistently over the years. They open new locations. Uh, you know, we think that there's room for probably at least another 100 locations across the country. Um, so they open new stores. But, you know, they also are gradually winning awareness and, and new customers at all those existing stores that are out there. And so word of mouth and advertising kind of gets the message out that this is a good fair place to get a quality use vehicle. So let's dig in a little bit deeper here. So I think that's been one of the most interesting years in the car business uh, since, I don't know, since cars were getting flooded by hurricanes in Florida and reappearing on the market or after Katrina, right? That was an interesting time to use car business. But uh, what's going on with cars right now uh, is so interesting right now because of uh, a handful of factors. You have a a dramatic change in car makers turning towards electric and obsoleting some of their big brands right now, or at least making plans and announcing plans to do so. You also have this dramatic, uh, obviously this COVID era where you have a lot of money in people's pockets, thanks to stimulus and so on, but no one, no one's all, their, their wallets, their bank accounts are all dressed up with nowhere to go. But then you've got the shortage of semiconductors and the inability to make cars that increasingly have a lot of semiconductor content. So what has happened, we've seen uh, the used car business has absolutely taken off from a price standpoint uh, because there aren't new cars to be bought. What, how has that affected CarMax specifically? Yeah, it's really remarkable, Corey. If you look at 
year-over-year pricing for used cars, according to the May data from Mannheim, 48% increase in a like-for-like used car year-over-year. So just enormous price increase. And so that's caused all sorts of turmoil in the industry and for CarMax. You know, it's a combination of reduced supply at the same time you've got increased demand from customers. And so, you know, CarMax is seeing vehicle shortages on their lots and very strong demand for those few vehicles that do they do have remaining. But it's not just CarMax. It's all the other retail dealers out there as well. Yeah. And yet when I look at their inventory numbers on the balance sheet, those numbers have gone way up. Is that about the value of that inventory or is it about the number of cars they've got in the lot or is it about adding stores? Uh, It's a combination of all three. So if you look at the number of vehicles they have in inventory today, it's about 30,000 units. In a typical June, you might see them have 50,000 units. So a material decline in the number of units, but of course, the cost per unit is up quite a bit, which is influencing the, um, you know, the overall inventory number on the balance Wait, sheet. Wait, they're down to, you said 30,000 units? 30,000. That's 30,000. And yeah. yet the value of those is greater than the 80,000 they had a year ago or a year before the last end of the February quarter. Uh, yeah, uh, this is a this is a big time of year for vehicle sales. So in June, we might expect to see more like 50,000 units in inventory. So it's still down 40% from normal levels. Dramatic. Um, when Dramatic. When you, where are they acquiring these these cars and, and how has that changed? So they get about a third to half of their vehicles from trade-ins. You know, they will buy your car from you, even if you don't buy a car from them. That's Is one that of their call key the, value propositions. The appraisal process? The appraisal process. So that is their preferred method for acquiring vehicles. And they've been working very hard to increase the number of cars they can buy that way. Um, And secondly, they will buy cars from traditional wholesale auctions and directly from uh, fleets, corporate fleets that are getting rid of vehicles. I would imagine that's the thing that's pulled back the most, right? Because uh, just anecdotally, well, as I mentioned to you when we were checking you in, I've got some travel coming up and trying to get a rental car right now anywhere in the country, particularly in a couple areas like Los Angeles, um, uh, is just really, really difficult. And so I think part of that is that the rental car companies just couldn't order the fleets or didn't order the fleets they've ordered in the past because they couldn't or wouldn't. Yeah, it's been really remarkable. I mean, I've read stories of people renting U-Hauls when they go on vacation to Hawaii because they can't find a regular rental car and they could get a U-Haul for a cheaper price to drive their family around Hawaii. Hadn't so, thought of that. Really, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> because Fairly some, clever if you There could be some antiquing in the Johnson future. <laughs> yeah. Forget yeah. lacrosse tournaments. So, you know, uh, another really interesting thing that's going on at CarMax, this COVID, uh, uh, y- you know, vehicle shortage is is a big deal, but it's going to be transitory, right? right? Sure. Things are going to work their way back towards normal. What's really exciting to us about CarMax is they're going from what we call CarMax 1.0, the model we all are familiar with today, to CarMax 2.0. They're enabling a lot of digital tools and online vehicle selling to allow customers to buy a vehicle from them on the internet, to have it delivered to their home or office, or they could get, customers can go the traditional way, go to the store and conduct the entire transaction at the store, or customers can do a portion of the process online and maybe go to the store, 
you know, kick the tires a bit, test drive it, and then sign the dotted line at the store. And so this is, um, this is really what we think is going to set up the business for, uh, uh, you know, a nice run over the next decade. What is the wholesale business? I see in their financial filings, they talk about their wholesale business as opposed to their used, yeah. car, used car business. Uh, in 2020, they said that they had uh, uh, 832,000 vehicles or 833,000 rounding up uh, vehicles sold uh, in the used car business, but they sold 467,000, 466,000. Got rounding. Come on, Johnson. Uh, I really did go to an accredited yes. university, I swear. Uh, but their wholesale units, 466,000 in 2020, what is that business? So if you sell your vehicle to CarMax uh, and it is not appropriate for them to retail on their lots, they will auction it off to local dealers in that geography. And so about one third of their inventory that they retail comes through trade-ins. All the rest, that 450, 500,000 units that you're seeing and talking about are uh, those units that are auctioned off to other dealers, typically lower end dealers, uh, buy here, pay here dealers um, that traffic in uh, lower priced vehicles. That really uh, speaks to their ability to acquire them at less than the market value, right? I mean, if they can, if they can both sell them uh, for a, a, a nice profit uh, to their customers and sell them for a maybe not quite as good profit, I say maybe, I mean, uh, they have, they've disclose this in their financial filings, they make less money in their wholesale units. But the fact that they can get them for cheaper than the used car dealers are willing to, uh, will be able to sell them, their competitors, that really speaks to their um, ability to really find deals. It, it does. I think they bring a lot of value to the equation by providing a simple and fast way for people to trade in their vehicles for a fair price. And in doing so, they're able to disintermediate uh, a lot of the traditional auction houses. Um, and, you know, frequently we will hear these anecdotes of franchise dealers, you know, your local Toyota dealer. Uh, when you go to buy a Toyota from them, they'll say, you know what, we don't want we don't want your Ford Taurus as a trade in. Just go down to CarMax, sell it to them and then come back here and we'll finish your your purchase transaction of the new Toyota. And so they are providing a service not just to the retail customer, but you know, many times the traditional dealers just send their customers down the road to CarMax to, to offload their, their trade-in vehicles. Now, what, as these guys uh, sort of pull forward a lot of sales that, or, you know, they're, they're getting priced this year, as you mentioned, they might not have it over the long term. How do you expect that business to change maybe writ large? And then for CarMax, as we get into 2022 and we start to see the, the um, pressures that most of the car makers say are going to last throughout this calendar year, uh, abate. So the average price of a vehicle sold at CarMax or almost any other retail auto dealer is not terribly important uh, because they're typically making a fixed dollar spread on that vehicle. So it's not a, a percentage of retail price that determines their gross profit. It's a, you know, it's a fixed dollar amount. So if you were to buy a $50,000 BMW, from CarMax, they'd make probably about $2,200 of gross profit on that vehicle. If you were to buy a $13,000 Kia from CarMax, they'd also make about $2,200 of gross profit on that vehicle. That sounds like a terrible so business. Prices fluctuate. That, but that sounds like a business uh, with no operating prices, margin whatsoever. You'd think the more they sell it for, the more they make. That's not what they're doing. 
Yeah, but they turn over this inventory, you know, eight, 10 times a year. So they're only keeping the inventory that that BMW is only on site for a month or two, and then it's gone. So it's almost a trading business. And you're just, you know, you're just passing through that increased cost to the customer in a higher price and still extracting your spread off the top. Why is there so the much the competition? Entire industry yeah. tends to work. Why is there so much competition in this building, uh, in, in this business and in the marketing side? You know, I see uh, competitors, um, you know, uh, Carvana, Vroom, you know, of course, CarMax, and uh, really advertising a lot. And it seems that there's a, there is a trend um, towards maybe consolidation in this industry uh, around technology, but it also seems that there's a tremendous amount of marketing spend required for these companies. Reminds me of the insurance business right now, actually. Yeah, there, there are a number of relatively new startup auto retail companies such as Carvana, such as Vroom, such as Shift, that are taking a internet-first, asset-light approach to retailing vehicles. And they, Carvana in particular, have generated a lot of traction over the last several years. Uh, Carvana has gone from virtually zero in sales six or seven years ago to being about one third the size of CarMax today. And so very rapid growth, demonstrating customers' desire to buy a vehicle in the most frictionless way that they can. And for many people, that means buying a car online. And that's as I alluded to earlier, uh, one of the primary reasons CarMax is undertaking this big CarMax 2.0 push. And um, But I think it's important to keep in perspective that CarMax, as much as we know that name, and Carvana, as much as we're getting to know that name as consumers, uh, compose less than 4% of the total market share across this used car industry. Oh, really? It's that small? And so it is a very very fragmented industry. CarMax is the number one used car auto dealer, 3% market share, and they are three times larger than the next closest competitor. So there are thousands upon thousands of auto dealers out there that are not going to be able to meet that same customer value proposition that a Carvana or a CarMax are able to deliver uh, in the future. Is it hard for them? I told you I wanted to ask business questions and not market questions. But you've got competitors yeah. like Carvana and Vroom that are big money losers and are in the market, you know, buying the same product, trying to go out there and buy cars from people that want to sell them and resell them to make top line revenues to make Wall Street happy. But in the case of where you've got competitors who can lose money and gain market share and Wall Street doesn't seem to care, I, I can understand your your notion of a long term investment where you want a company that makes money, but they're going to lose. They, potentially, they could lose share to money losing competitors. Uh, because Wall Street's rewarding the top line growth, even if there's no bottom line, uh, anything. The burden of profits, right? That's what CarMax has today <laughs> when they're competing against yeah. uh, VC-backed, essentially, and uh, you know, some pretty generous public markets that are funding these companies. But to be clear, CarMax is not losing market share. They continue to gain market share, perhaps at a less rapid clip than they otherwise would if uh, – Carvana was not in the picture, um, but uh, you know the the prices that Carvana is charging for their vehicles are essentially the same as CarMax is charging, which are essentially the same as what most other people in the industry are charging. It's a very competitive industry, and uh, where Carvana is losing money, 
spending money, investing for the futures and advertising and building out their nationwide footprint. And paying too much for the and cars so, and acquiring uh, apparently, yeah. Uh, there is I guess you want to be a there. buyer from CarMax and a seller at Carvana, maybe. Uh, maybe, maybe. A different I, I just bought a vehicle from CarMax and that means I've got a vehicle to sell. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm going to put it out to bid at both of those companies and we'll see where we end up. Brian McCauley, Portfolio Manager, Hennessy Focus Fund. We appreciate it. Um, how can people keep an eye on what's going on in those focused bets, those concentrated bets happening at the Hennessy Focused Fund? Yeah, great. So I think the best place to learn more about, about our fund is to go to HennessyFunds.com, where they can read uh, all the introductory information about us. All right, Brian McCauley. Well, um, uh, the, may the burden of profits uh, uh, punish you as well. I'm hoping it's going to happen here for us. <laughs> Thank you very much. Drill down. Thank you, Corey. All right, coming up next, the drill down bite. That one number that tells us a whole lot after this. The drill down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms. We hope you listen every day. You can check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, Pandora. But make sure you click subscribe, follow us so we get that download every day and you get the chance to hear the latest business news. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. Okay, the drill down bite, that one number that tells you a whole lot. We want to talk about the number, that percentage that the markup is uh, for CarMax. CarMax, on average, marks it up. You ready? 13%, as Brian told us, uh, the average $2,200. Actually, in 2020, it was $2,186 markup on every car that they sell. So know that when you walk into the CarMax lot. There's some wiggle room there. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, thank you for listening to The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer of The Drill Down's a production of the Business Podcast Network. Peace.